want you to hit me as hard as you can. The Star Wars franchise, long thought to have been finished at the end of Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, back in 2005, came back in a big way a decade later with J.J. Abrams' Episode 7, The Force Awakens. And even if that film ended up being a bit of a retread to regain disillusioned fans burnt out by the critically maligned prequels, it nonetheless shot up to the top of the box office, making over $2 billion, and is still one of the top five grossing films of all time. And then a couple years later, the franchise franchise was further energized with the superior follow-up The Last Jedi written and directed by Ryan Johnson, which took the Star Wars universe to unexpected but exciting new directions. However, it seems that Star Wars fans didn't really want new or exciting, which led to what is arguably the worst Star Wars film ever. Yes, even worse than the prequels, Star Wars Episode IX The Rise of Skywalker, directed again by The Force Awakens' J.J. Abrams, who preferred to simply regurgitate nostalgic imagery and tell a tired eugenics-based story about secret bloodlines. Hell, even most fans who are most critical of The Last Jedi also agree that it was bad, pleasing neither those who enjoyed Ryan Johnson's take on the universe nor those who hated it. It essentially pissed off both segments of the fanbase to make a film no one really liked and the lowest rated mainstay Star Wars film, yes, including even Episode 1. But did it have to be that way? Now, it's easy to see why Colin Trevorrow, who was initially hired around the same time as Abrams and Johnson to co-write and direct Episode 9, ultimately got the boot. Kathleen Kennedy, current president of Lucasfilm, and the person overseeing all the modern Disney Star Wars projects, has had a knack for firing directors that didn't seem to toe the company line, whether by being hard to work with, a la Josh Trank in his aborted Boba Fett film, or being too experimental and tonally radical from the other films in the series, such as Clone High's Phil Lord and Chris Miller being replaced with Ron Howard on Solo to rein in their more comedic take on the character. Hell, even Gareth Edwards was fired off of Rogue One, with writer Tony Gilroy overseeing the rest of the reshoots, even if Edwards retained the sole director credit. And according to sources, it's seen that Trevorrow, hot off the billion-dollar success of Jurassic World, was simultaneously both hard to work with, constantly butting heads with Kennedy due to an inflated ego, and whose script for the ninth film, dubbed Duel of the Fates, which he co-wrote with Monster Trucks' Derek Connolly, didn't meet Kennedy's or the studio's expectations. But was Trevorrow's Duels of the Fates script really that bad? The answer, in short, is no. In fact, I'd say it was much better than what we got, to the point that the negative perceptions of the sequel trilogy wouldn't be as pronounced as it is now, and might even get people excited for more mainline Star Wars adventures, which seem to all be regulated to shows on Disney Plus now. So, what happened in Duel of the Fates anyway? The opening crawl begins, stating, The iron grip of the First Order has spread to the farthest reaches of the galaxy. Only a few scattered planets remain unoccupied. Traitor's acts are punishable by death. Determined to suffocate a growing unrest, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren has silenced all communications between neighboring systems. Led by General Leia Organa, the Resistance has planned a secret mission to prevent their annihilation and forge a path to freedom. Now already, just with the opening crawl, there is an immediate improvement to The Rise of Skywalker, as we're no longer dealing with the Dead Speaks bullshit Abrams' version pulled, where instead of Palpatine's message being a part of the film, it was only available on fucking Fortnite. 
At last, the work of generations is complete. So, we begin Trevorrow's film proper with an awesome heist sequence where Finn, Poe, Rose, who thankfully has a much more substantial role in this film as she's one of the main characters like she was in The Last Jedi, and Rey, who is badass as hell in the script, wielding a double-bladed blue lightsaber to better simulate the original staff she learned to fight with back in The Force Awakens, nonetheless end up hijacking and stealing a fucking Star Destroyer. With Rey using her increased Jedi mind powers to control all the First Order crew members on their bridge. Now, the Resistance, still led by General Leia, now not only have a Star Destroyer in their fleet, but also all the walkers and other armaments it was carrying. We then find out that the First Order is set up in a ruined Coruscant as a clever symmetry with the prequels by beginning and ending the entire Skywalker saga in the heart of the Old Republic. Rather than basically treating the prequels as if they didn't exist like Abrams did, only now the city planet is a shadow of its former self, full of boarded up ruined buildings riddled with graffiti and citizens becoming desperate and homeless due to the First Order occupation. And after Snoke's death, Hux has been promoted to Chancellor, ruling the world with an iron fist. Meanwhile, Kylo Ren has been training with a 7,000-year-old spider-like alien creature named Tora Valum, who, while not necessarily a Sith, was still Palpatine's mentor who himself makes a brief appearance as a pre-recorded hologram. As for Valum, he is sort of a dark side Yoda to Kylo, at one point leading Ren to fight a force manifestation of Darth Vader in a pretty epic fan service lightsaber duel between the two. Valum even teaches Kylo to suck up the life force of living things, one of the repurposed plot points from The Rise of Skywalker, which backfires tremendously when Kylo decides to suck the energy from Valum himself, making Kylo extremely powerful. But that's not before Ren discovers the secret origins of the Force on the mystical planet of Mortis by reading Valum's dying mind. Across the galaxy, Rey has been training with Ghost Luke, but both sense Kylo's quest for more power by seeking out Mortis, so Rey decides to go on her own quest to stop him. But despite the fact she wants to keep her friends safe, Poe, who in one of the weaker elements of the script shares a sort of Han, Leia, will they, won't they romantic subplot with Rey, insists on joining her. Chewie then insists on tagging along as well. Afterward, they are pursued throughout the galaxy by the Knights of Ren, who are much more formidable than they were in The Rise of Skywalker, though still serving a similar function as disposable mini-bosses. Finn, Rose, R2D2, and C-3PO then go to Coruscant to stop the First Order from blocking the Resistance signals, using an ancient Jedi beacon in the Old Temple. And, after some great swashbuckling adventure, Rose succeeds in activating the beacon. Leia is thus able to send a hologram to a variety of systems calling for revolution, which is a rousing epic montage of various planets hearing the message, which is not too dissimilar to a sci-fi version of the lighting of the torches in Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Finn even gets to complete a trilogy-long arc where he spares the life of a random stormtrooper, which then stirs up a stormtrooper revolution against the First Order who had captured and brainwashed them. Afterward, throughout the film, Finn gets embroiled in an underground urban resistance and eventually becomes the leader and face of it. The final battle then ends up being a fight between mercenary brute troopers hired by the First Order versus former stormtroopers piloting newly liberated First Order walkers and ships differentiated by badass war paint and graffiti. It's honestly pretty fucking awesome. It's also nice that we get to see Finn actively persuade and inspire stormtroopers into defecting rather than a more eugenics based some people are just good version of the Stormtrooper defectors in Abrams' film. But it's a hard battle, and when all hope is lost, Leia returns with a stolen Star Destroyer from the opening scene and the rest of the Resistance fleet. 
Hell, even Lando and his smuggler friends join in on the fun, a large pirate army in tow. It's the people rising up, as a much more revolutionary feel than Abrams' random dates mocking a fleet in The Rise of Skywalker. Poe and Chewie also join the fight at Coruscant as well, once Rey mind tricks Poe in a surprisingly emotional scene into not following her as she faces Kylo in the ancient and mystical planet of Mortis alone. But what's really great about this script is what it does with the nature of the Force. While Abrams decided to remain didactic and binary, like good, dark, bad, Trevorrow built upon The Last Jedi's notion that Jedi were flawed, that there needs to be reform for there truly to be balance. This means controlling both sides of oneself, the light and the dark sides. In the script, Rey is able to defeat Kylo by being able to wield dark side powers like Force Lightning, but remain on the side of good. And, again, unlike The Rise of Skywalker, avoids dated hereditary bullshit. The script isn't perfect, of course. The love story between Poe and Rey felt forced. The script also invented the notion that Rey's parents were ultimately good and only abandoned Rey to protect her, rather than scoundrels who abandoned her for drinking money, which was far more interesting and original. Though, at least Trevorrow thankfully didn't make the hacky and obvious choice to make Rey related to an OT character for no reason. But it's also an early draft, and it seems likely he and Connolly would have been able to smooth out the rough edges if given the time. Now, the death of actress Carrie Fisher and her extended role as Leia in this draft couldn't have helped matters, but honestly, what probably did Trevorrow in, on top of his allegedly bad behavior and Kennedy's unfounded lack of enthusiasm for the script, was the box office and critical failure of Trevorrow's follow-up to Jurassic World, The Book of Henry. The movie has become a bit of a cult classic for being extremely terrible and ill-conceived, wasting the talents of Naomi Watts, Dean Norris, Jacob Tremblay, and It Part 1's Jaden Martell. If you want to watch a hilarious takedown of the film, check out Folding Ideas' video from a few years ago, link in the description. The fact that Book of Henry was such a financial and critical failure the final nails in the coffin for this version of the film, which is unfortunate. Because while flawed, Trevorrow's Episode 9 Duel of the Fates would have been light years ahead of what we ultimately got. Though, we would lose Babu Freak. That's a sacrifice I'd be willing to make for the greater good. But what do you guys think? Would you prefer Trevorrow's Episode 9? Either way, sound off below. Anyway, thank you for watching our show. If you like what you see, please subscribe to our Joe Blow Videos channel, tell your friends who like this sort of content, and turn on the bell to receive notifications for all our latest videos. We're an independent company, and we appreciate all of your support. If you have any suggestions for any future episodes, please leave them in the comments below. Yeah.